You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. Thank you, Ralph Wesley. Big fella. Young fella. Podcast show number two. However you found it. Uh, thank you. Uh, website is up. Mark Stern's here with me. The website is thekevinsheehanshow.com, but I also took out kevinsheehanshow.com and redirected it oh, to the main one. Oh, there you go. You know, trying to get all the possibilities here. Got to do it. Taken care of. Uh, the website is a work in progress. Um, I have seen all of your text messages and tweets and emails about it. We're, we're working on it. You know, it's like baby steps here. I'm trying to accomplish, like, Two or three things a day, and I figure in two weeks it'll all be smooth. Yeah, it's a work in um, progress. But I know a lot of you had issues with Google Play, and we didn't make it available uh, via the website until yesterday. But now you can just go to the website, thekevinsheehanshow.com, and you can listen to it right then and there. All right? Uh, and that will be easy. Um, wow. Day two is a... Big winning Monday for the Redskins, <laughs> and they really did look good yesterday on a lot of levels. And I don't know how much of that was Arizona, how much of that was the Redskins. Time will tell, but it was one of the more dominant performances, not in an opener, in any game they played in a long, long time. J.P. Finley from NBC Sports Washington will join us on the show today. We'll go around the NFL uh, and definitely talk about one of the more dramatic NFL comebacks in recent memory, and that was last night and what Aaron Rodgers did on one leg in the second half. It was incredible. Yes, I'm going to talk about Kirk Cousins and his debut for the Vikings and a lot more. I think it's Kurt, actually. Uh, it is Kurt. Um, but let's get started with the good, the bad, and the more. The things I liked, the things I didn't like, and a lot more than that. Um, all right, let's uh, let's start with the, the good. Uh, everything was good. I can't remember a game where every unit and nearly every player was as dominant in a game like yesterday's game. The game last year against the Raiders, the 27-10 Week 3 win over Oakland, was flawless as well. Um, but yesterday it was offense, it was defense, it was special teams, it was coaching, um, and everything combined for a result that has to leave you feeling optimistic about the season. Now, it's one game, and Arizona looked like a team with a new coaching staff and a new quarterback, and they were banged up in a few spots, especially on defense, and perhaps they would have been torched by any team in the NFL yesterday. Still, it's hard to think that the Skins could have looked any better in that game. So the first thing for me yesterday is that it was it was across the board impressive and dominant. Specifically, Chris Thompson and Jordan Reed. Uh, I'm lumping these two together because we've seen what this team can be when both of them are healthy. And we've seen what this team is when they're not. Thompson's injury last year in New Orleans effectively ended the competitive portion of the season. That, in combination with the way they blew a 15-point lead uh, late in that game, and instead of being 5-5 five and five and well on their way, uh, they dropped to 4-6 and six and the season was over. Um, yesterday, Thompson and Reed combined for 176 yards on just 15 touches. Thompson looked great as a runner, by the way, on any down, including first down. He looked explosive, and he's a nightmare for a linebacker in coverage. And I think the same and even more can be said about Jordan Reed. What a touchdown catch at the end of the first half. To catch it, to extend it, um, 86 was healthy, and when he's been healthy uh, with any quarterback that he's played with, this team has been able to move the football, and they've been dynamic offensively with Jay Gruden as sort of that offensive pass designer. These are the two keys all year to the offense. I'll get to Alex Smith here shortly, and I'll get to, to Adrian Peterson in about five seconds. But Chris Thompson and Jordan Reed are the keys to this team performing consistently and performing well throughout the season. They've got to be healthy. And if they are, then they've got a chance to be a really good offense again. Let's talk about Adrian Peterson and a rush offense that we've never seen really at all in the last several years. It's been a long time since the Redskins ran the ball the way they did 
yesterday against the, the Cardinals, particularly in the first half. Um, they ended up with 182 yards on 42 carries. I think you got to go back to that Rams game in week two of 2015 when I think Matt Jones had a big day um, and they ran the ball from perhaps somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 yards. I think they did the same uh, in Los Angeles last year, but it was it, it was dominant. I mean, it, Peterson ended up with 96 carry uh, 96 yards on 26 carries. Um, it's one game. The opponent wasn't very good, but the Peterson performance revealed a player who is in shape. He's hungry. Uh, he still has the combined power and elusiveness to be very effective. On one early run, he stopped, started, then broke a tackle or two on the way to a 13-yard gain. The run game overall had lots to it. Alex Smith and RPO stuff, read option stuff. They ran a speed option play with Chris Thompson yesterday uh, and Alex Smith handling uh, the speed in the pitch. Lots of wrinkles, lots of action, Richardson in motion in the backfield. It was much more creative than usual. So I'm going to give Gruden a lot of credit, Callahan probably a lot of credit, for not only creating um, something that looked more like today's NFL rush attack, you know, we didn't see a lot of those duo plays that Cooley always hated. You know, the dive plays that seemed to always end up in zero yards, minus one, or one yard. We saw wrinkles. We saw action. And we saw the best running back duo that this franchise has had in a long time in terms of the talent. Of course, it makes a difference overall um, when you've got two really good backs. But the running game set the tone for the day. On their first touchdown drives, the first two touchdown drives, the Skins ran it on 19 of the 26 plays for 95 yards. That is not typical Jay Gruden. All right, the two touchdown drives. There was one 11-play drive and one 15-play drive. The 26 plays in total, 19 of them were runs for 95 yards. In fact, on those first two touchdown drives. They had 15 first downs, and they ran it on 12 of them for 60 yards. It's an average of five yards per carry. Uh, the rush offense set the tone for the day. And by the way, is, the, is one of those things where if they can stick with it, if they can be consistent, if they can have some health, and they've got a quarterback that's being used and being presented as a run threat in a lot of their run game, uh, this could really be interesting to watch. Um, the next thing that I liked, and the list is long today uh, because there really wasn't anything not to like about the game yesterday. Alex Smith. What a first half Smith had in completing 17 of 20 for 171 yards and two touchdowns. He looked sharp in particular at the line of scrimmage where he consistently put the offense into the right play. You could see it. You could see him checking. You could see him moving people around, and it seemed like every time he did that, the play worked. They executed. He didn't have to throw the ball deep because his playmakers were Thompson, Reed, and Peterson. They were so good and so good after the catch. One of the strengths of Alex Smith is, is his mobility, his playmaking ability to extend plays that don't go exactly as planned. We saw that on a play where he got out of the pocket and threw to Jordan Reed for 20 yards. Um, I thought he was lucky that, inten uh, that uh, intentional grounding wasn't called in the third quarter when he chucked away a ball underhanded from the end zone. Um, and in that first drive, he appeared to miss the blitz uh, and, and didn't account for the blitz pickup on that double-A gap uh, blitz where uh, it was Buchanan that really put the pressure on. And that uh, resulted in intentional grounding and knocked him out of field goal range on that opening drive. Other than that, though, Alex Smith, that was prototypical. Uh, Alex Smith performance. You get a run game, you get a defense, and he can manage a game, and he can make throws, and he can get you into the right plays. I thought he was outstanding. Jay Gruden and staff need to be on the list of things that were good, things that I liked today. I don't know how you couldn't have liked those things today. Jay Gruden, for the first time in five years, he won an opener, and his team looked sharp, and they looked urgent. The thing about the last four openers, going back to his first one with RG3 in Houston and then the one against Miami and then the Pittsburgh Monday Nighter and then Philadelphia last year, is there was no sense of urgency. They didn't look – they looked listless, especially early in those games. Not yesterday. They were prepared. Gruden gets credit. A couple of other things on the list of – 
the things that uh, I, I really liked from yesterday's game. Their third down defense. Look, the defense was dominant in almost every facet of the game. But the key was getting off the field on third down. They allowed one conversion on eight third down attempts. They only faced 51 total Arizona offensive snaps in the entirety of the game. And by, and by the way, most of those came late when the game was already decided. The Cardinals ran 14 plays in the first half. That's it. You're going to have a good defensive performance more times than not if you only have to face 14 plays. Part of that is the offense dominating time of possession, but the defense got off the field on all three of Sam Bradford's third down attempts in the first half. Uh, I loved the way Greg Minuski sent extra pressure early in the game on third down, and he had Bradford completely, completely out of sync. Um, specifically on defense, there were a number of performances, but I want to single out one. I thought Quentin Dunbar, and really one of his first starts, in one of those positions that we as Redskins fans were like, okay, are they going to be okay without Breland? What about Fuller as a slot corner? Remember, Cooley really believed that Fuller was headed towards playing on the outside anyway. Dunbar's had really good moments, and I think there was some comfort level in Dunbar. Well, he was everywhere yesterday. All right, he had an interception. He had another near interception. He broke up three to four Bradford throws. It started early. He had a great tackle on a completion to that rookie Christian Kirk uh, that stopped him about a yard short of the sticks. Quentin Dunbar was excellent yesterday. Um, there were a lot of performances that I haven't singled out uh, because they're too numerous to mention. Um, but I think we got most of the ones that were memorable. I liked them in every aspect of this game, which leads me to the things that I didn't like. And the answer to that is nothing really. I mean, seriously, is there anything that you could make? Anything you could mention would be a major nitpick. They had three penalties on the opening drive. Okay, that was disappointing. Uh, they, they got knocked out of field goal range on that opening drive when Smith got called for intentional grounding. And if you looked at the replay, it should have been called a sack anyway because his knee hit the ground. It wouldn't have mattered. The spot of the ball would have been in, in the same spot. Um, there was the late punt return to Kirk that they gave up. Christian Kirk, the rookie uh, from uh, that Arizona draft in the second round. But the game was long decided at that point. There really wasn't anything. And if you have anything negative about yesterday's game, it's a major nitpick. It is similar to that Raider game last year. They were dominant in all facets. And it was like you came away from that game last year thinking, wow. Now remember last year in week three, there was a feeling that the Raiders were going to be a really good football team. And they weren't last year. Um, but the Redskins seemed to pick up defensively where they left off before the injuries really crippled the season last year, that Raider game, that Chief game early in the season. And offensively, they ran the football, which they haven't been able to do in years. That set the tone. You've got a quarterback that can make plays when everything around him is working well. Uh, and, man, Adrian Peterson's first performance was impressive. And Jordan Reed and Chris Thompson's health and them being available are massive massive keys. They are massively important to the Redskins offense this season. A few other things real quickly. The first half of this particular game was as one-sided statistically as any game I can remember. The Redskins outgained Arizona 261 yards to 36 in the first half. They marked they had 22 first downs in the first half. 22 first downs in a half to the Cardinals Two first downs. Is that good? That's pretty good. <laughs> they ran 44 offensive plays in a half in an NFL game. Not strange for a college game. Uh, really, really unusual for an NFL game. Arizona ran 14 offensive plays in the first half. The time of possession advantage in that first half was 22 minutes, 57 seconds to 7 minutes and 3 seconds. And the Redskins were 5 for 7 on third down. They were 1 for 1 on fourth down. Arizona 0 for 3. Speaking of that fourth down, you know, remember the Pittsburgh opener on Monday night two years ago when they had an early fourth and one and Gruden punted? It, it really was like in, they were in Pittsburgh territory, and then Pittsburgh came back, and on a fourth and one, Roethlisberger threw a touchdown pass to Antonio Brown. Uh, that's a different mindset that Jay Gruden had yesterday. 
All right, it was the the obvious right call, but I also like the fact that a quarterback snuck it. Remember last year, all the times in multiple games where it's like, why don't you just sneak it to get it? Uh, I loved the urgency that he had and his team had about an opener for the first time in his five years as a head coach, and the fourth and one was somewhat reflective of that. By the way, every call in yesterday's game, not that they needed it, but it seemed that every call went the Redskins' way. It seemed like the entire game, the Cardinals were over there going, can we get a break? Steve Wilkes' first game as head coach. Um, and, and again, it wouldn't have mattered because the Redskins were a dominant team. But a couple of plays. Trent Williams clearly held Chandler Jones on a 20-yard Smith to read play in the first half. It was the one where uh, Alex Smith got outside the pocket and made a play. Um, you saw it on the replay, grab Chandler Jones' jersey, got away with it. I really thought the late hit by Chandler Jones on Smith in the first half was really a ticky-tack call. I know that we are – and I saw it all day yesterday – they are going to call a lot more defensive holding. They're going to call number 28, by the way, for them, got called for three defensive holdings in the second half alone. Um, and they're going to call anything that looks like it potentially threatened a player's safety. Um, I thought the underhanded chuck out of the end zone was intentional grounding. I know Doxon was within 10 yards of the throw, um, but I thought that that should have been a safety. Um, there was one missed call against the Skins. I mean, the, the one big play that the – uh, the Cardinals had uh, early, before we got to the fourth quarter when it didn't matter anymore. Um, on their first drive of the second half, uh, you saw Bradford hit Fitzgerald down the seam. And when you saw the replay, Fitzgerald pushed Swearinger off badly. No call. Um, one last point on yesterday's game, and these are the little things in games that often really uh, you know, determine a result. It didn't matter yesterday. But early in the third quarter, it was after uh, Smith had gotten away with the intentional grounding in the end zone. I thought he got away with it. I mean, you know, we can agree to disagree on that. Tressway punted 55 yards from deep in his own end zone, and then the Cardinals had a holding uh, in the midst of the kick. It was a 65-yard field flip. Those are the things that you watch in a game. It wouldn't have mattered yesterday had he shanked it out of bounds at the 18-yard line. The Redskins weren't going to lose to the Cardinals yesterday. But it's that kind of special teams play that you need in games that are tight. A 65-yard field flip is impressive. Um, what else from, from this game? There weren't any major injuries in the game. Um, Trey Quinn left the, the game after that punt return with an ankle injury. Cam Sims was hurt. Troy Apke, the rookie from Penn State, had a hamstring injury. Um, the Redskins won their first opener since 2012. First time since that RG3 debut in New Orleans. Uh, and and really, I mean, the Raider game last, last year, I remember we all said it after that Raiders Sunday night game that we had not seen a dominant performance by the team um, that looked anything like that in years. Uh, and I, yesterday was an example of that. But let's be, let's be fair about this. We have no idea after week one what it means. Week one can be major fool's gold in the NFL. Arizona looks right now to be completely disorganized. They've got a new coach. They've got a new quarterback. They had some injury, injuries yesterday coming into the game. They may be a better team, you know, week eight, week nine, week ten. They were a terrible team yesterday. Redskins had something to do with that. Um, and there, I was optimistic about this season before it started yesterday because I thought defensively they had a chance to take a big leap, and I was hopeful that they could actually generate a rush attack and that Thompson and Reed would stay healthy. If the Redskins stay healthy this year, it's going to be a team that will win some games, like enough games to be in the hunt when we get to December. I don't know that yesterday confirmed that, it shouldn't have because it was the opener and it was against a bad football team. Um, but I liked what I saw yesterday and cannot wait now for the game next week uh, against the Colts who lost yesterday. Uh, and we'll get to that and we'll go around the NFL here in a moment. But I do want to mention that the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast is presented by Window Nation. It's Kevin Sheehan here for Window Nation. It's back to school time. And to help you get educated about Window Nation, they're offering instruction on supply and demand. Beat the fall rush 
Window Nation has extra capacity now, so lock in the lowest pricing before the demand goes up. With Window Nation's back-to-school sale, you get one free window for every window you buy, wood or vinyl styles. Buy four, get four free. Buy eight, get eight free. There is no limit. Get an A-plus in savings and receive 0% interest for five full years. That's like a free ride until 2023. Use it towards your kids' books or clothes or backpacks or shoes or even treat yourself. It's smart to go with Window Nation. When it comes to windows, they're first in class. Now it's your turn to go to the head of the class. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. Get one free window for every window you buy. Buy four, get four free. There's no limit. Plus, receive 0% interest until 2023. That's five full years. Do a little homework today. Get your windows installed before the cold arrives and save big during Window Nation's back-to-school sale. Call today, 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Tell them Kevin Sheehan sent you. All right, it's time to go around the NFL. And man, last night's game was one of the all-time great and improbable comebacks. Can I just tell you, I'm a fan. I'm playing fantasy football with an old buddy of mine. He was at a concert. I sent him a text that said, "Rogers just got carted off. We're counting this as a win because we're going against Rogers, and we're going to win." A, this is a Dewey beats Tr- uh, Truman moment. Then I woke up this morning because I didn't stand for the end of the game, and I was like, "What? He came back, and he ah, that's Aaron Rodgers. What hey, he does? The buck stops here. Yeah, yeah." <laughs> The buck stops here. Well done. Uh, I was basically ready to turn it off. And I just waited through halftime as the Packers were down 17-0 with Aaron Rodgers going out in the first half. By the way, um, after a performance by Khalil Mack that was an all-timer, in the first half he had an interception, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, a sack. All in the first half for Khalil Mack. Uh, He was dominant, and I just want to mention this one thing before we get to this game and some of the others from yesterday. When you have a top 10 to top 15 quarterback somewhere in that range, and you have a top five defensive pass-rushing, havoc-wreaking player, you do not get rid of those players. These are the two positions that impact a game more than any other. John Gruden and the Raiders will regret trading Khalil Mack. He was dominant. And before we get to the Rodgers comeback, the Bears looked awesome in the first half. Jordan Matthews is a good back. Mitch Trubisky looked great. Matt Nagy, the new head coach, is scheming up Andy Reid-style offense. You never have seen that from the Bears. And I'm like, wow, the the Packers are in big trouble if they don't get Rodgers, if Rodgers is done again. But, man, the Bears look like a team that could contend for something. Again, week one, Fool's gold many times, but I thought the Bears looked great in the first half. So I was about to turn it off, off uh, and then you see Aaron Rodgers come out, and he's getting an ovation from the crowd. And he said afterwards, he said, quote, when I got the ovation at that point, I said, well, we might as well win this thing, <laughs> close quote. Aaron Rodgers in the second half, 17 of 23 for 273 yards. They trailed 20 to nothing midway through the third when he led them for 24 consecutive points. Actually, a 24-3, to they outscored the Bears the rest of the way. There were opportunities for the Bears to close it out. On the field goal that made it 23-17, they had a chance to get it in the end zone. Kyle Fuller had an interception right in his hands on the final drive of the game. Two plays before Rodgers would throw the 75-yard touchdown pass to Randall Cobb for the game winner, and he dropped it. Apparently, that's Kyle Fuller's M.O., He had two picks last year, six drops last year of interceptions. Uh, On one leg, Aaron Rodgers brought the Packers back in one of those memorable NFL openers that if you stayed up and watched it last night, it was riveting to watch him. He couldn't move his left knee. He couldn't push off. He was flicking it. It was all wrist, every throw. The offensive line came up massively in the second half, protected him. He didn't have to move around. He didn't have to make Aaron Rodgers-type plays where he's scrambling around. He was throwing primarily from the pocket, and they came back and won from 20 to nothing down in the third quarter, and they're off to a 
8-0 start. They get Minnesota next week. Speaking of Minnesota, Kirk Cousins in his opener, 20 of 36, 244 yards, two dime touchdown passes to Rudolph and the other one to Diggs. He found Thielen six times for 102 yards, used Dalvin Cook out of the backfield, six catches, 55 yards. I will say this because I was watching this game, or a lot of it. Um, Mike Zimmer, who I love as a head coach, took his foot off the pedal in the second half. They had a 24-6 lead and got very conservative offensively. Uh, I think Kirk could have had a much bigger day. He was super sharp in the opener. Uh, They've got weapons. They've got a defense. Mike Hughes, the rookie, had a pick six that gave him the big lead. Um, And Garoppolo really uh, struggled more than than succeeded. He was 15 of 33 for 261 yards. Um, Alfred Morris had a huge fumble near the goal line that could have been a a, a big difference-making play. Um, But the Vikings get off to a 1-0 start, uh, and Kirk uh, played well in his opener. What about the division? The Cowboys lost at Carolina 16-8. It was ugly. All right, and and you're, as a Cowboy fan, you don't have many weapons of, other than Zeke, um, and you've got a quarterback that you're really, really not completely sure about. Let, let's be fair here. Dak Prescott was really good as a rookie with a phenomenal rookie running back in the backfield. Last year, he was just average, but he was missing Zeke for six games. I don't know that Dak Prescott is the answer at quarterback. He doesn't have many weapons, and against a Carolina defense that is lights out, it's going to be tough on the road in the opener, and maybe they'll look a lot different next week against the Giants in the Sunday night game, but the Cowboys were limited to 232 total yards of offense, and Prescott was sacked six times in the game. Six times in the game. The Cowboys lose 16-8. to in the opener. The Giants, meantime, at home against Jacksonville. Jacksonville's defense once again looks lights out. Miles Jack scored on a 32-yard interception return, which gave Jacksonville a 20-9 lead. And then Saquon Barkley had the best play of the day for him, a 68-yard touchdown run. He ended up 18 carries for 106 yards. Uh, He was 17 of 38 without that big run. I hate when people do that because the big run actually does count, and it was a great run, but they had him bottled up pretty much most of the day until that run. Beckham Jr. back, 11 catches, 111 yards, um, but Eli Manning uh, threw a fourth down incompletion on their final drive, um, or one of their final drives, and the Giants lose a game that, that they could have won. They were in this game 20 to 15. The best performance of the day goes to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who at 35 years old completed 21 of 28 for 417 yards and four touchdowns in New Orleans to lead the Buccaneers to a 48-40 win. Uh, Tampa had to be, or New Orleans, excuse me, had to be the number one survivor pull pick of the day. Had to be. And that's the NFL. And I told you Friday in my debut podcast, I told you that I like the Bucks, and one of the reasons I like the Bucks is that number was sitting at 9.5-10, which is the perfect number for tease players to throw the Saints into a three-team teaser and say, all they got to do is win the game. And I can't tell you how many times a 9.5 or a 10-point favorite at home, people throw into a three-team teaser. For those of you that don't know what a teaser is, it's a three team wager where you get nine to ten additional points so you throw new orleans into it as one of your three teams and you have new orleans on sunday as a pick them so all they got to do is win to win one third of that wager the bucks not only covered they were a smell test pick they won the game outright that happens so so often in the nfl and i would guess that in most survivor pools 40, 50, 60% of the players are out in week one because New Orleans was the biggest favorite of the day. Uh, Fitzpatrick, his average yards complete, uh, per completion, 19.8 in the game. Deshaun Jackson had a big touchdown catch. He's got weapons there. I mean, let, let's not act like you know they don't have some really good weapons with Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson. Um, remember, you've got Jameis Winston suspended right now uh and 
if Tampa Bay uh, can get off to a good start and they host Philly next Sunday, you'll see Ryan Fitzpatrick stay the quarterback. Uh, a stunning win in week one, 48-40 in a shootout over New Orleans. How about the Browns and the Steelers in a 21-21 game? Here is the stat of the day. Since 1995, teams that ended up with a five-plus turnover differential, and that's what the Browns did yesterday. They got six turnovers in the game from Pittsburgh. Teams with a five-plus turnover differential since 1996 have a record of 132, four, and one. Of the four losses, the Browns have two of them, and of the one tie, they have the tie. Uh, they ended their 17-game losing streak by tying Pittsburgh in overtime. Their kicker, Zane Gonzalez, had a chance from 43 yards out with nine seconds left in overtime, but T.J. Watt blocked the kick. Boswell had a chance to end it for the Steelers in overtime with about a minute 44 left, and he went wide left on a 42-yard kick. It's the first tie in the NFL since the Skins-Bengals game in London two years ago, and it's the first week one tie since 1971. Last year, when the NFL moved to that 10-minute overtime rule, it's now 10 minutes, I suggested that there would be more ties because of it. There weren't any last year, but in week one, we got a tie. With 10 minutes of overtime, it's fewer minutes to score. Uh, you would think intuitively that you'll end up with more NFL ties. Roethlisberger uh, committed, uh, Pittsburgh committed six turnovers. Roethlisberger had five of them. Um, Cleveland, uh, with Ty Taylor, you know, at times looked okay, um, but they need a lot of help. Uh, James Conner was fine for Le'Veon Bell rushing for over 100 yards. The Ravens on Friday, I said to me, were my surprise AFC team. I could see them winning 11-plus games this year. They destroyed Buffalo 47-3. to I also suggested on Friday that Joe Flacco will have a big, big season. I think it's going to be a career year, and he started off uh, with a really good day, playing basically a half and throwing for 236 yards uh, in just over a half. Nathan Peterman, for some reason, has the Buffalo coaching staff fooled. Uh, he was brutal. 5 for 18, 24 yards, two interceptions for a quarterback rating of 0.0 before they turn to rookie Josh Allen. Brady and Gronk combined for uh, a couple of touchdowns, and New England beat the Texans 27-20. to Deshaun Watson in his first game back after the injury ended his promising start to his rookie season, uh, struggled uh, for much of the game, 17-35 uh, for, for 176 yards, and had an early fumble in the game that set up uh, the first score for New England. Um, the Patriots are in Jacksonville uh, Sunday for a rematch of the AFC championship game. Uh, Case Keenum threw three interceptions in his first start for Denver, but they won the game 27-24. Von Miller sacked Russell Wilson three times in the game, forced two fumbles, and recovered one. And again, I'll say it like I said about Khalil Mack. If you don't have uh, if you have a game-changing defensive player, you do not trade that player. That player and the quarterback are the two players that win games for you by themselves. Patrick Mahomes was pretty good in the opener for Kansas City over, uh, over the Chargers. They won that game 38-28, but the star of the game was Tyreek Hill, who had 169 yards on seven receptions and returned the first punt of the game 91 yards for a touchdown. Chiefs have now won nine straight against the Chargers in the longest game in NFL history in terms of the elapsed time to play it. It was two lightning delays. Miami beat Tennessee 27-20. When the game ended, it was seven hours and eight minutes after it had started. And then the Redskins opponent next week, the Indianapolis Colts in their Home opener next week at FedEx Field. Andrew Luck was back. He was really good. 39 of 53 for 319 yards and two touchdowns. They were driving late in the game with a chance to win the game down 27-23. And he completed a pass to the tight end, Doyle. He was hit, fumbled, and it was re returned for a touchdown. Uh, but Indy looked much better uh, with Andrew Luck at the helm. 
All right, let's bring in J.P. Finley from NBC Sports Washington, who was on a late flight back. I appreciate you doing this because uh, I'm sure you're exhausted. Uh, this was, for the Redskins, the most dominant performance you've seen since when? I think it's easy to go back to the Oakland game last year when uh, they just the Raiders were supposed to be a big deal and the Skins just really knocked them off the ground for most of that game. It it was the same thing yesterday in Arizona. We saw that they were just so physical, and I think that's the vision the front office put this team together to be. And really what makes it so incredible is that offensively they ran the ball so well, and the the offensive line was able to just really manhandle the, the Cardinals' front seven but all of it kind of hinged on Adrian Peterson, a 33-year-old running back that wasn't even in the organization a month ago. It, it, who would have thought this is how it would all shake out? It's, I mean, once Darius Geis went down, the question was, oh, no, they're back to the same old place running the football. Ends up, at least for week one, AP has plenty left. You know, uh, NFL games look so much different when teams can run the ball and assert themselves with a running game early. Um, And we've talked about this so many times in the past. You know, they've had these various games, whether it was the Rams game, you know, a few years ago or in week two last year. And and then the head coach has sort of gotten away from it. Um, Do you think that there's some sort of philosophical change about this particular team this year about running the football? Peterson just kind of has the clout to dictate the football. And just because you've got – it was crazy. I was in the locker room with him last last night, yesterday. My time zones are a little messed up. Please forgive me. And I, we asked Adrian as he was walking to his locker. He had done a podium session, and he's walking to his locker. And we said, you know, really, man, is this emotional for you? What does this mean? And he said, he's like – He's like, honestly, guys, not really. You know, I've, I've done a lot in this league, but I will say that as the names start to pile up, you recognize kind of what you've accomplished. This is the guy that yesterday passed Jim Brown on the all-time rush yards list. And Jim Brown is just a name that resonates with everybody because of what he's done on the football field, off the football field. But for a lot of people, he's considered the greatest football player ever. So when you have a guy that's that's doing things like that, he's passing Jim Brown and Marshall Falk on – on these NFL record books, I, I don't think Gruden can get away from the run game like if it's like, oh, well, we only got Rob Kelly 12 carries. That's one thing. Adrian Peterson, I don't think, as long as the game flow allows for it, I, I think they're going to get they, – they want to get Peterson the ball at least 15 times a game and probably more like 18, 20. And they got it to him 26 times yesterday, and he was their leading pass catcher uh, in the game JP, one of the things, and JP Finley from NBC Sports Washington is joining us, and I appreciate him doing it because it was a late flight back. You know, I loved the wrinkles in the run game yesterday. I, I Cooley and I would, would often talk on a Monday about some of the lack of sort of creativity in the run game. There was RPO. There was read option. They ran a speed option play. There was action with Richardson on some of those run plays. I think maybe there was an emphasis here in the offseason to get more creative with the running game. Do you agree? I do. And and being down in Richmond at training camp for, you know, just about a month, we saw a lot of that getting installed, especially that kind of constant reverse misdirection action that you saw with Paul Richardson, you saw with Jamison Crowder. And they don't even have to run it that often. Those guys don't even have to get the ball all that often, maybe once, twice per game. But it, just, it, it keeps that backside defensive end or outside linebacker. They, they have to be aware of that threat because it's so persistent. And, Kevin, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think they did a really good job of getting outside. They weren't necessarily able to pound it between the tackles early in that game, and then they just started going to the edges both with Peterson and with Thompson, and it was highly effective. I think it also helps when you have a QB like Alex, who is not just really mobile, but he is entirely comfortable with the ball in his hands in a running situation. I mean, it's a lot of years removed from the University of Utah, but he's still that guy that you know was a number one overall pick running the spread offense for Urban Meyer. Um, I would go even one step further. I think, especially in the first half, 
I think you got to see Gruden kind of flex his creative offensive muscles. I, I mean, the, on on a couple of those drives, they were lining up in five different formations in a nine ten play drive, and. It it helped in the pass game. They really were able to spread the ball around, get different guys involved. I was was impressed by the depth of the playbook for week one and really, especially in that first half, how good everything looked. I was too. And, you know, this is hardly um, uh, an opinion that hasn't been – that's unique. It's been shared by all of us that have – you know, followed the team, covered the team, the importance of Jordan Reed, the importance of Chris Thompson. But on that Thompson first run or first down run out of the shotgun on their first touchdown drive, it just reminded me of how basically when he went down in that New Orleans game and they subsequently blew a 15-point lead, that was the end of their 2017 season in New Orleans, in the Superdome, losing him, by the way, in combination with already having lost Jordan Reed. Uh, Were you surprised Thompson looked as good as he looked, given the limitations that he seems that were put on him in the preseason, and then speak to just what we all know, which is when Jordan Reed plays, they've got a chance to always be good on offense. I mean, to your point about Thompson last season, he was the offensive MVP of this team. He, he was so good last year. And, you know, yesterday in Arizona, he picked right up where he, where he left off. I, I wasn't surprised because we saw enough of him in Richmond, and he kind of made it clear to me early on that he didn't expect to play in the preseason. For as much consternation, and, and probably some rightfully so, about the Redskins training staff and did they handle all the injuries correct last year, I think they've handled Thompson, Reed, Morgan Moses, Trent Williams. I mean, they had a lot of guys coming back from, from fairly major surgeries this offseason. And I, we had Morgan Moses on our postgame show yesterday, and Morgan said, you know, it, it feels so good for all of us coming back from injury because we heard all the questions. We heard all the, all the pressure that was on Gruden about, hey, did you play these guys enough in the preseason? So to come out week one, everybody's healthy and we're able to perform like that really means a lot to us because more than one guy yesterday told me they were so happy to get that win really for Gruden because he's dealt with the season opener stigma for, for four years now. Um, as far as Jordan Reed, he's a dynamic talent, and when he's on the field, he just creates so many mismatches for the offense. The, the play, he, the touchdown he scored, it was so athletic and acrobatic. It was... It was a good throw from Alex Smith in the sense only Jordan Reed could make a play on that ball, but it was a little it was a little off even for that down and you know low and in the corner ball you want to throw and and Alex admitted as much after the game and just said you know Jordan's a special player and and what he did to get in the end zone and if you know Jordan a little bit he's a quiet guy but he's very intense very competitive and I think it meant a lot for him to be able to to score a TD his first game back. You know, the Redskins, when they are healthy, um, with Thompson and Reed and Trent Williams, they have three players on offense that are arguably, uh, and you can reasonably debate, in the top three in the league at their position, using Thompson as sort of a third down back uh, comparison to others. They really are. Reed, you see it every time he's healthy. He looks like he's number two, worst case, number three uh, between uh, behind Gronk and Kelsey as a pass-catching tight end. Top and three. And Thompson yesterday had, at some point, he had 10 touches for 120 total yards. I mean, he was just popping and, and you know there was no one big play to kind of to kind of boost his yardage total it was just every time he touched the ball he was gaining 15 13 17 yards it's jp finley uh nbc sports washington here on the kevin sheehan show uh the podcast um congrats by the way kevin I thank you, tell you that. thank you and you've you've been a big help some of your advice on how you've been doing with with yours with rich uh, and I want you to promo it here in a moment, uh, has been sure. very helpful uh, to me the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I, we, we didn't talk much about the defense, but the defense was dominant, and Bradford looked a mess, and, they, and the Cardinals potentially are, are a mess. But I will say this, and, and it seems like he always ends up with a performance in a game when he gets the opportunity where you say, wow, Quentin Dunbar was damn good today. Quentin Dunbar was great yesterday. 
in his, you know, in this first game starting as the opposite corner to Josh Norman? The Redskins made a few decisions this offseason based on how great they think Quentin Dunbar can be. And it, it started with just completely letting Bashad Breeland go in free agency. They were never bringing him back. I had a source tell me that last December when they were still playing games, that Breeland would not be back with the team. And then they brought, they added Orlando Skandrick to give them a veteran because they recognized how young they were. But they cut him. And this is a team that typically doesn't do that. But they were like, we like the young guys we have. Orlando Skandrick's a very opinionated guy in, in meeting rooms and stuff. And they were like, you know what, we don't need it. We're moving on, and, and Dunny showed him why yesterday. He's, he's got great – it sounds like you're talking hoops, but he's, he's really long. He's rangy. Yeah. He can be physical at the line of scrimmage. He, even, even in plays where he didn't make the interception or knock a pass down, he had a really important tackle on a third down early in the game to, to force the Cardinals off the field where he was tight in coverage. Didn't make a play on the ball, but he was right there, was able to bring Larry Fitzgerald down right away, so it was a short game, and the Cardinals had to punt. Just little things like that. I've heard from, from multiple players. So, I don't know, if you remember, Will Blackman played with the Skins for better part of two seasons. Right. Really good dude, really insightful guy to talk football with. Would always tell me that he believes Quentin Dunbar could be a really good corner in this league. And it wasn't just because of the physical tools. It was also the way he studies film. And, and you, it, you might not expect that from Dunbar, but by all accounts, he's one of these guys that is just devouring game film all week. And that really helped Kendall Fuller last season. And I think that attitude, working with Torian Gray, those guys love Torian Gray, the, the Redskins secondary coach. I think all of those things are coming together to, to really – this could, could kind of be a breakout year for Dunbar, much like last season was for Fuller. I, I thought Moreau played pretty well as, as well in, in the slot, but I think we got to temper some of the secondary stuff because that Cardinals the Cardinals aren't very good, and <laughs> not not right I, now. No, I think they're going to probably have to go to Josh Rosen before too long. I, I don't know how that's going to look. I, I think. You can take more away from the front seven just shutting down David Johnson in that you know he's a star running back in this league and really couldn't get going. And, and that, above all else, the Redskins' plan, the, the, the entire focus this offseason was to rebuild that defensive line and to be able to stop the run, and, and it worked yesterday. I mean, we can talk about the offense worked, but we always knew Jay Gruden moves the ball, even when – That's right. He, even in 2014, when they had Robert, Colt, and Kirk all, you know, kind of getting benched for one another and going back and forth, and Jay's trying to figure out his quarterback, that, that team still passed collectively. Those three guys still passed for more than 4,000 yards. They're going to move the ball, but defensively, that's exactly what they were hoping to see. Totally agree with you. Uh, Jay Gruden's been able to move the football when his players, his key players, have been healthy, and they did it yesterday. Fool's gold is week one usually, but still, it's hard to think um, that the Redskins, you know, against anybody yesterday wouldn't have performed pretty well. Um, uh, they look I, great. Definitely. Uh, all right. Uh, JP Finley at JP Finley NBCS on Twitter. The Redskins Talk podcast with Rich Tandler. How can people get it, Rich? Uh, JP? We're, we're all over wherever you get your podcast. So, you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, Stitcher, all those apps, you can find it. You can also find it on our website if you need to. And uh, the podcast world is fun, Kevin. I think you're going to enjoy it, man. So far, so good, but it's only day two. Uh, you'll, you'll be good. I'm confident. I'll talk to you. I appreciate it, really. Thank you. Talk right. soon. J.P. Finley, NBC Sports Washington. Let's get to what happened over the weekend here. Um, something we like to call a little weekend DVR. Maryland won again. Wow, the Terps are 2-0. Actually, really impressive again in a half, the second half at Bowling Green. They had a bunch of penalties in the first half. They were down 14-10. And then they outscored Bowling Green 35-0 in the second half. They ended up in the game with 444 yards on the ground, 565 total, and only allowed 158 total yards to Bowling Green, 15 of those on the ground. 
I said this in my first podcast about Maryland. They have talent. DJ Durkins put together back-to-back top 25 recruiting classes. It doesn't mean that they're going to compete with Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State in the Big Ten East. It doesn't. But this is a good enough team, if they're healthy, which they were not last year, to win seven or eight games. They blew out Bowling Green in the second half. They were physical at the line of scrimmage, and they've got speed on both sides of the ball, in particular on offense, uh, where they play. I don't know how many running backs they play, but it seems like seven or eight guys get carries in the game. Ty Johnson had over 100 yards in the game on Saturday night, uh, and Tayon Fleet Davis rushed for over 100 yards. They're 2-0, and they get Temple. Temple's terrible in the home uh, the true home opener this weekend, uh, assuming that Hurricane Florence doesn't put everything on hold this weekend uh, in the Mid-Atlantic. Uh, but the Terps have a really tr- very good chance to be 3-0 and a pretty good chance the week after against Minnesota to get to 4-0 before a trip to the big house in Ann Arbor. At that point, they may be close to ranked. They got 30 votes. I think they were the number 30 team in the Associated Press. Other college football wanted to mention real quickly. Clemson held on Saturday night against Texas A&M. Clemson's the number two team in the country. Jimbo Fisher uh, in his second game as Texas A&M's coach. There was a very controversial call at 28-20 where uh, Kendrick Rogers, one of the receivers for Texas A&M, um, caught a pass uh, and... Um, it, it actually, that may not have been the Rodgers catch. I think it was the Rodgers catch. And anyway, he caught the pass, extended it out before the goal line, and the ball got knocked out of his hands, and it was called a touchback, the ball given back to Clemson. And many of you and many who are watching thought that it was a terrible call, a misuse of replay, that it was obvious that the ball went out of bounds before the pylon, which would have given Texas A&M the ball at the one-yard line. I saw the replay a bunch of times call in the field in that particular uh, instance to me should have stood which it did it wasn't confirmed it stood but I didn't see one angle that proved that the ball went out of bounds before the pylon Um, you gotta stop with this stuff though with receivers and running backs on a play that got a first and goal at the one with plenty of time down eight and you're needing a score stop reaching the ball out to try to get a touchdown If it's fourth down, if it's the last play of the game, I got it. But that play resulted in a first and goal at the one if you just protect the ball. Once you start reaching that ball out and you expose it, that whole lost ball touchback becomes a possibility. The other thing that must stop is what happened in the Georgia-South Carolina game on Saturday. Georgia cornerback DeAndre Baker had a pick six running down the sidelines where he just drops the ball right before he crosses the goal line. Hello, have you seen the Deshaun Jackson plays? Stop with this. If you're a coach, how you don't sit down at the beginning of a season with every player on your team and show them all of these plays that have happened over the years where players have dropped the ball before scoring and say, if this happens on our team, it's going to make me look like an idiot for not having addressed this with you like I am right now before the season. You grasp the ball like it's gold until you have crossed not only the goal line, but you have crossed in the area of where the goal posts are, which are 10 yards behind the goal line. Unbelievable that this still happens. By the way, somebody picked it up for Georgia. They were alert, and they picked it up, and they ran it into the end zone for the touchdown anyway. How about Herm Edwards? Herm Edwards is 2-0. This was one of the more ridiculed hires last year in college football. Herm Edwards, who hadn't been a part of football as a coach in decades and had been with ESPN for decades, and he takes the Arizona State job. They beat UTSA last week. That's University of Texas, San Antonio. And then there are seven-point underdogs Saturday night at home against number 15 Michigan State. Uh, and they win the game 16-13. to 13. Edwards said after the game, quote, when you speak to the players, winning always justifies what you do. When you win, they continue to buy in. Arizona State is 2-0, and and I think they play one more game next week before they get to the Pac-12, and that game is at 
San Diego State. Uh, I'm going to save the Serena meltdown and the what happened with the umpire in her final on Saturday night for tomorrow because I have some thoughts on that. Uh, I want to finish up the show with Lefty Drizel into the Hall of Fame. So, Lefty Drizel was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame on Friday night. Per usual, Lefty stole the show. Well, you know. I tell you, the older you get, all you try to do is remember names and go to the bathroom. (laughs) That's what Lefty said as part of his speech on Friday night. He went longer than anybody else, and nobody cared. He had the place roaring. He had three presenters on Friday night. His first assistant at Maryland and longtime uh, college head coach George Raveling was one of them. Mike Krzyzewski was one of his presenters. Uh, Krzyzewski has long advocated for Lefty to be in the Hall of Fame. And John Thompson was one of Lefty's presenters to the Hall of Fame on Friday night. The rivalry between Lefty and Big John in the 70s and 80s was a much-discussed topic in this city. Who stopped playing whom and the reasons for it have changed over the years, it's really not important anymore. But you have to know if you're of a certain age, uh, and that age being not remembering what college basketball was like here in the 70s and 80s and even 90s, that there was a time when college basketball was the clear-cut number two in this city. You can still occasionally make that argument You know, when Maryland's good, they played a Sweet 16 game against Kansas a few years ago, and I think it was the highest-rated non-Redskins sporting event on television for the year. Um, But Maryland was the first, and Lefty was responsible solely for the popularity of this particular sport in this city. There was no NBA when he got to the area in 1969. The Bullets came four years later from Baltimore. There was no hockey. The Senators weren't very good, and they were two years away from leaving town for Texas, Lefty was a star in this city. UCLA of the East, he promised Maryland would become. And recalling that the other night, he said, I said we were going to turn Maryland into the UCLA of the East. I was kind of drunk or something when I said it. But we were pretty good, and we wound up being pretty good. We had a lot of great players, close quote. That was Lefty from his Hall of Fame induction speech, talking about the UCLA of the East proclamation that he made when he got to College Park. He did have great players. He was the best recruiter in the nation for a decade plus. He got Tom McMillan when Tom McMillan was number one and Bill Walton was number two in the high school rankings of players. He got John Lucas. He got Albert King. Albert King, one of the most highly recruited, most decorated high school basketball players in New York history. Uh, He got a player named Reggie Jackson from Roman Catholic High School in Philadelphia who was the number one player in his class. And then, of course, there was Moses Malone. Lefty got five number one overall recruits, Mark, in eight years. He was the John Calipari of the 1970s when it came to recruiting. Five number one players in eight years Lefty signed. Now, Moses was the gem of the group. And the stories that have been documented um, and been told about the recruitment of Malone are all there to be read. Uh, The the recruitment of Moses Malone was legendary. He was the best prospect uh, maybe ever in high school. Uh, Moses' mother loved the left-hander, and all mothers loved Lefty. He had charisma like you read about. He walked into the room, and he had a presence about him he was 6'5", for starters, and he had this booming, deep southern drawl. Um, Moses never played for Maryland. He enrolled, and a day or two after classes uh, started, he signed with the Utah Stars of the ABA for a then-record $1 million. Lefty told him to take the contract. People don't know that. Um, even though, at the time, Lefty knew he was giving away his national championship meal ticket. Because if Moses had played at Maryland, Maryland would have gone to Final Fours and won national championships. It's funny about Moses Malone. Lefty always referred to Malone as a former Maryland player, even though he never played for the Terps. They remained very close friends throughout their lives. Lefty said the other night during his Hall of Fame induction ceremony, quote, I loved Moses, and if he had played for me, I would have been up here a long time ago. (laughs) 
My favorite story that Lefty told about Moses Malone, and he did it with Tommy and I during one of our Lunch with a Legend episodes when we were doing it for 980. Um, actually, two quick stories. One, one of them was, it took me about two years to convince Lefty to do this. He kept saying to me, how much are you going to pay me? And I said, well, Coach, you know, Gary did it for nothing, and John Thompson did it for nothing. It's an honor. We're going we're gonna to honor you at a restaurant downtown and invite people to honor you. Well, I'm coming from Virginia Beach. You're going to have to pay me. And we finally did pay him to come up. And we paid him a number that he agreed on, and it was about 50, about 10 minutes before the show was supposed to start, and Lefty's not there, and my phone rings, my cell phone rings, and I look down, and it's Lefty Drizel's cell phone. Hey, Kevin, it's Lefty. Coach, where are you? This thing's going to start in about five or ten minutes. Man, I was thinking about it, man. You're going to have to come up with some more money for me to get up here. <laughs> and I said, are you serious? He goes, no, man, I'm just, I'm just blowing your chain, man. I'm on the elevator coming up. <laughs> so there was that. And then he told one of the great stories that I had never heard, and I, and I don't know that many have heard this story unless they heard it on this particular show. He loved Moses Malone, and Moses Malone, after he had signed Moses Malone, uh, he had called Moses one day and said, Moses, what are you doing to stay in shape? What are you, where are you playing ball? He said, Coach, I'm playing at the Virginia State Penitentiary. <laughs> and Lefty said, why? And he said, because that's the only place I can get a decent game. They got a guy down there by the name, we call him the Milkman. And the Milkman coach is about 6'10 and 250, and he can play. <laughs> And Lefty said, well, tell me more about the milkman. <laughs> and Moses said, I mean, he can post up, he can shoot it, he can rebound, he can block shots. Coach, you should try to sign him. So Lefty called up the governor of Virginia at that point and asked the governor of Virginia to look into the milkman's eligibility because Lefty told the governor of Virginia, I'll offer him a scholarship unseen on the spot for him to come to Maryland and play basketball and get an education. The governor said, Coach, I'm going to have to look into this thing. I'll have to call you back. And about two days later, he calls Lefty back. And he says to Lefty, hey, Coach, uh, you know why they call him the milkman? Lefty said, no. He said, because he murdered a milkman. Lefty said, well, can you get him out? (laughs) And, And the governor said to Lefty, he said, Coach, the milkman ain't never getting out. And that was one of my favorite stories. Moses had to go to the state penitentiary to match up against the milkman to get a competitive game. But Lefty was a legend. And back to John Thompson for a moment, being a presenter and a huge advocate, by the way, for Lefty to be in the Hall of Fame in recent years. And there was a time nobody would have ever seen that coming. We've all, Mark, you and I, got to know Coach Thompson over the years working at the radio station. Love Coach. Um, And as competitive as he is, the one thing you knew about John, Big John, Coach, is that he loved a great salesman. And he told us stories about Lefty over the years, about the five-star summer camps where there were rules about coaches. They had to sit in the stands, and all the coaches would be up there, him and Bobby Knight and Dean Smith and all the great coaches, and they'd look down, and there was Lefty standing underneath the basket because Lefty didn't care about rules. They didn't apply to him necessarily, and Lefty wanted to be seen by all uh, uh, all of those players. Um, I've, I've told this story before. John Thompson said many times, without Lefty, there'd have been no Georgetown. Uh, without lefty college basketball would have eventually become popular. There are too many good schools in this area, too many schools that are, you know, potentially good basketball schools, but lefty started. He won 786 games still to this day. He's ninth on the all time wins list in college basketball history. He built four programs from scratch and took them all to the tournament. He never got to a final four, but he did lose five times in the elite eight. The close but no cigar is really part of his legacy. It was the desire by so many to see him get over that you know, hump and win something big that became part of the narrative when you talked about Lefty. He's one of the winningest coaches of all time. He's one of the most colorful coaches, charismatic coaches. He's the best soundbite, the best quote ever, but he's never been to a Final Four. And the longer he went on without getting to a Final Four, the more and more it became part of the description of Lefty. But it also became part of why you wanted it so badly for him. 
1984, they won the ACC tournament for the first time. It was the Len Bias sophomore season. He was the MVP of the ACC tournament. Um, and, you know, he said that if I ever won the ACC tournament, I'd take the trophy, stick it on the top of my Cadillac, and drive all around the state of North Carolina. Nobody to this day really knows if he did it, but I promise you that ACC fans and ACC coaches and Maryland fans, of course, and college basketball fans were, were happy for Lefty. They cheered when he finally won that ACC tournament. He was a winner even though he never won at all, and he's a big part of the sports history of this city. I would urge you to watch Scott Van Pelt's tribute to him on Friday night from Scott's Sports Center. That's available anywhere on the internet. Uh, Dave Kindred's column in The Athletic from a couple of months ago on Lefty is must-read. Feinstein's written so many times about Lefty, so eloquently and so entertainingly. Um, So you can find anything that John's ever written about Lefty. But for those of us who grew up in Coalfield House watching him stomp around the sidelines and raise the V for victory sign, and when he came out in the early days, they played Hail to the Chief. He'd come out and they'd played Hail, and he'd raise that victory sign and people went nuts. Um, He left us with memories and stories forever. So congratulations to Lefty. You got what you wanted so the people would never forget your teams and the players you told me a few years back. You didn't want your players to be forgotten. Well, look, without the Hall of Fame, you were never going to be forgotten. So congratulations. Nobody's ever going to forget the left-hander, and he is in the Hall of Fame. Tomorrow on the show, first of all, I want to thank Window Nation. They are the presenting sponsor of The Kevin Sheehan Show. Uh, You can find us on kevinsheehanshow.com or thekevinsheehanshow.com. Tomorrow and every Tuesday and Thursday, Tom Levero will be my co-host. It'll be Sports Fix 2.0. And tomorrow, if you want to come visit us, I know it's early, we'll be at Chatter all right, on Wisconsin Avenue, Wisconsin and Jennifer Streets Northwest. We'll be here doing it at Chatter. You can come in. You can get an early lunch. You can watch Tommy and I record our first show together in about three years, two and a half to three years. But Tommy's going to be my guest every Tuesday and Thursday on the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. We're still working on a lot of things here. We're working on the website. We're trying to figure out how to get it on Google Play. I don't think it's on Google Play yet. I believe the verification process is still pending with it. Is that what it is? I think so. We're, 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 we're working on it. Yeah, we're working on a lot of things, but I really appreciate so many of you uh, for you know finding it already, and hopefully we can continue uh, to do it. I'm going to do a show. I've mentioned this already every Monday through Friday, uh, and then when we really get this thing up and running, I'll try to do a couple of weekend you know short pop-up podcasts, um, but uh, this is it for day two. Huge win for the Redskins. Really really dominant performance. I have no idea, nor do you, by the way, whether or not it's a real indication of anything, but they look good, and you got a home opener next week against Indianapolis. Thanks to J.P. Finley, who joined us on the show. Thanks to Mark Stern, who produced the show. We're back tomorrow here at Chatter. Tommy will be with me. Come see us.